You're listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. On the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast, Anthony Scordy. Hello, this is Mark Redfield and welcome. I'll be speaking with Anthony Scordy and talking about uh, his one-man show, An Evening with Onassis. This is a play that he wrote and acts in um, about the life and man, Aristotle Onassis. We'll also be chatting about the Paramount series, The Author, in which he plays Carlo Gambini, and um, just whatever pops into our heads in this actor-to-actor chat. This interview was conducted by telephone on March 8th, 2022. Anthony Scordy. Hey, Anthony, it's Mark Redfield. Mr. Redfield, how are you? Mr. Scordy. I'm fine. Congratulations. I understand from George that the uh, show got off to a great start. I just saw one of the first reviews. He shared that and... uh, so congratulations. Thank you. I wanted to, I want to ask, um, basically the, the, the whole gestation, the whole, from the beginning of time, how did you land on Onassis as a figure, as a character for a one man show, for a one person show? I do know that you, you premiered a version, an incarnation of this in, uh, at the Stella Adler in Los Angeles, but I'm curious, from the very beginning, how did you light on Aristotle Onassis? I just, I want to think, Mark, that uh, he landed on me. Um, I'd been thinking about, uh, I was kind of new to L.A. at the time, and uh, I was thinking, oh, this is such a tough business, and no one's given me a shot, and which I hear a lot of people talking about, and I thought, well, musicians and stand-ups can go out there and do their own thing and they don't need anybody else and they don't need anybody else's permission to actually do that. So uh, that had been on my mind and uh, I realized at that point that, well, actually it's not that I'm not being given a break, it's because nobody knows who the heck I am. They don't know I exist. So I'd already got into the, the, the next phase of pointing my finger at people and realized I had to point the finger at myself. And then I was on a set a few weeks after that. And uh, a guy called Theo Penglis, who's in uh, Days of Our Lives, who we were shooting something, a movie together. And they were rehearsing the background actors for a dance. And so we were just chatting away. And he said, yeah, you know, you realize you look like an asset. And after having gotten over the offense of that and uh, controlling myself from punching him, uh, <laughs> jokingly I say that, uh, I uh, went home and started researching the guy. The first page um, Google lands on is Wikipedia. And I read it and I thought, this is uh, very condemning. And I thought, it can't be true. Whoever has written this must have a, 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 a serious grudge against the guy. So I started... Uh, reading biographies, and I read about ten of them. And I had to read between between the lines. I had to read the white bits, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I started yeah. writing the play. I started writing this. Uh, I decided I could write a one man play on the, on the, on uh, Aristotle. 
Socrates and Athens. And the more I read, the more intrigued I became and the more I read. And I eventually read one biography right at the end, which confirmed all the white bits I'd been reading. Uh And so I decided to write it, and it was written by um, several um, journalists from the Independent in the UK. And I thought, yeah, this is more like, you know, what I thought was the truth. And then I decided to write something that if Anassis were to speak about himself, an audience with Anassis, uh, an evening with Anassis in his drawing room, in his living room, um, what would he say? Or if he was stood at the back of the theatre, would he uh, be uh, agree with why? Would he concur or would he be angry? Uh, yeah. Across, so um, that, and I wanted to um, put the record straight, as it were, and then I use humour to do that with some of the bits, and uh, some of the bits are very moving, and so on and so forth. So uh, when I did it in LA, I did it. I took me two weeks to write the play, and four months to rewrite it. And in fact, I still was rewriting it in Atlanta to um, because I wanted to draw. Uh, not many rewrites, it was just a different hue, a different shade. And I decided to focus on bringing something else out uh, of the uh, of the play about the man. And um, I, I think I've achieved that. Well, the interesting thing is, is that biographers all, they come with their points of view about a subject. They can't help that. It's uh, it's. I, I think it's very similar to an actor playing uh, a role you're going to bring yourself to it 100%, no matter what that is. But a biographer will have their opinions and their their slant on a subject, uh, whether they love the subject or not. In a way, as a playwright, you're another biographer with something. So let's let's jump to Atlanta recently, in, in recent weeks, um, because you just mentioned that you, you know, you've lived now with the play for several years. You're you're about to do it again, uh, the New York run. Um, so what is that process of finding those new things? Um, you're, you're, what is your relationship with the director that you bring in into something? Because you have made choices and you know what you want to do with it. Uh, so what's what's the relationship there, and what's the process like of getting to a performance in rehearsal? Right, right. So to answer the to a start at the beginning, um, I I don't touch the play when I'm not doing it. Mm. Right. So I I grow as a man. I have newer experiences, and I have new uh, outlooks on different outlook on life than I did when I actually wrote it. Or I, or I did two years ago when I performed a, a couple of performances in Athens. And that's a deliberate thing. So when I'm rehearsing it now, I'm rehearsing it more for the stamina, number one. And I allow them, because the, I'm on stage for an hour and a half and I go through his whole life. And I allow the plate and the, and the moments to wash over me. So, you know, Excuse me. You can, you know, and, and the other thing about the the, the the director is, it's like when I'm doing the play. Oh shit! I didn't see that before in the play. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I didn't know I'd written that. I hadn't written that. <laughs> it's just that my interpretation of it now is different. 
You see? Yeah. And so now working with Dick Rantoulane, who is essentially an actor who directs, um, we were at the same drama school together, not together at 10 years apart, but he, we have the same shorthand language. So we were trained at the Drama Centre London um, by yeah. some phenomenal, phenomenal people and there's some phenomenal actors that have come out of there. So we have a shorthand that we talk about, and, you know, when we and, and I think Dick Rand's focused more on the rhythm of the piece mm. rather than the interpretation of the character. Yeah, he, you, you uh, obviously there's trust there. So as a set of eyes, he's looking at the hole and the shape and the rhythm of the thing. You, you'd be a trigger question. Right. I'm curious. When and, and, were, and I have to say, there, hold hold that question, and I have to say that um, there comes a point when you one as an actor gives the piece to the director. In my situation, because it's my my you know I wrote it and I'm acting in it. But there comes a point when one says, right, now I have to take the piece back from the director and fly with it. Because all the work's been done, and now I have to leave it alone and leave myself alone. It's like a piece of music that, why are there so many conductors and so many orchestras doing playing uh, Rachmaninoff's Ninth, for instance? Uh, I don't know why I chose Rachmaninoff's Ninth, but... Uh, I'm sure there's some symbolic meaning in that. Why are there so many recordings of it? Because within the stave, the notes are all the same. But yeah. I can interpret within the notes and within the spaces and within the rhythm, you know, and within the speed and with it where, where I decide to, to point things out and punch things or where I can go um, pian, pianissimo or... or, or wherever I decide to go with it. So there is interpretation within the interpretation. Do you follow what I'm trying to say to you? Absolutely. It's, it's jazz. Yeah. And uh, let me ask another question and I'll jump back Absolutely. to the one that just popped into my head. But, um, the, what my, I have, uh, my Greek is uh, terrible. It's horrible. But, uh, the word that comes to mind that I think is correct is thrasos. Is that it? Guts, uh, nerves, I've never done. Thrasos. I mean, did you say I, thrasos? I've been, thrasos. I've been alone right. on stage. I've monologued on stage. I've never done a one-person play. It 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 it's to be on stage for ninety minutes for an hour and a half. Um, and this is coming right out of what you're just talking about. Every audience is going to be different for whatever reason. They're just a different living organism every time you're going to do that. If I'm correct about the New York space, are, is it three-quarter? Is the audience surrounding you, or are they on one side? How's that space laid out? Are they on three sides? It, no, 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 they're not. In a, it, it, you mean thrust stage? No, it's not. In Athens, they were proceeding in March. This is classic. Yeah. Uh, this is a classic theater with a raised audience. Uh, I but I have to say, yes, absolutely, every audience is different. And that's the, that's the concern about rehearsing something like this, because I often break the fourth wall, and, um, which means that makes the audience my, my um, scene partner. So Very much so. And, and the, the, the auditorium, if the space is intimate, um, then everything that they're doing, whether they are latecomers, whether they are rustling, 
you're you're breaking the fourth wall. You're interacting with them. This is part of what's happening in the room. You can't ignore that. And so that well, you can, uh, you can, you can, but you can also but I choose absorb not that. Yeah, yeah, uh, because you're talking to them. Um, does the, um, the there was um, an idea that uh, when you were uh, at Drama Center, when you were touring and doing theater work early in your career. Was there anything in the class, in the work, or was there anything at that time that you saw of a one-man show that may have inspired you, or just completely separately, not even knowing that you would be doing uh, no, Onassis in the future? No, no? only stand-up, only stand-up stuff, you know, and that's, that's what I'm very pleased about, that I hadn't watched any one-man shows, any one-man uh, I think they call them shows. I call mine a play because there's a character arc and there's 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 a story arc and uh, there are other characters in it who I portray. Um, but um, I said to, I will never go. I know actors who will uh, watch a movie um, and watch someone else's performance uh, so they can get some idea for their own performance. I'd never have done that and never advocate for anybody to do that. So I was yeah. pleased that I hadn't watched anything else, because I, I, I'm not going to say who, very famous actor. Um, I went to see his one man at the Mark Taper Forum, and uh, I was like, oh, my, I am so pleased that I hadn't watched it, because I wouldn't <laughs> have had the, the audacity to have written what I'd written. Mm. So it was it's something that's completely original and outside the box what I've written and what I'm performing. And that for that, I'm pleased. A lot of these kind of plays, uh, one man plays, one person plays where they are embodying a famous person. And there are, of course, you know, world famous precedents. And one that always comes to mind is, of course, Hal Holbrook and the law. How did I know you were going to say that? Of course. How did I know you were going to say that? It's it's the one yeah, the lay yeah. public probably knows the best. He, he performed it for decades. He, he performed it so long that he didn't need makeup at a certain point. <laughs> he just needed right, right. mustache. Um, and but in in a, in Onassis, an evening with Onassis, you are actually playing, so to speak, other characters. How did you come to that hmm. decision? Was that just in, a way in to be able to? Within, because you've got a compressed running, you're still doing it in 90 minutes, and this man's life is incredibly outsized and incredibly... Sure, sure, and, and, you know, I had to make the decision that I was, uh, what I wanted to focus on. You know, in the original material, a good friend of mine, Steve Mazakis in Australia, he's done a lot of work in... in, in, in the U.S., he, uh, he, he used to stay with me before COVID uh, for pilot season, and, uh, you know, I went off to do a British series in, in, in the U.K., and he was uh, staying in my place while he was doing uh, Prison Break, the reboot. So, you know, we're, we're really tight, and so I put the man through the ordeal of listening to the first three hours of it. There were three hours of it originally. You know, and then I had to decide what I wanted to focus on. Because first, it was supposed to be a vehicle for myself. And then the more I worked on it, the more I cut it, the more I rewrote it, I thought, this isn't about me. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about analysis. Yeah. 
So, um, and, and, I, and I'm pleased about that, and I've actually forgotten the, the, the question. No, 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 no. It's the very fact that there are other people. Oh, the other characters. His, right, the other yeah, characters. And, and you've made that choice because there are these one-person shows where it is them all the time. Uh, and you've got to find um, new ways so it's not just this all right, person so, so saying, one thing I wanted, what, what, The one yeah. thing I wanted to do was to keep it active and keep it in the present. Otherwise, it's right. going to be all exposition. And, you know, I hear so many actors complaining, oh, this is exposition. Yeah, well, you're a storyteller. You know, that's your job. Tell a story. And if it's exposition, great. So, you know, um, uh, and I thought, well, you know, let the ha- you know, and I just wrote it. And, and Yaya, his grandmother, happened to come out and his uncle. And, you know, and it's, I guess... I guess if you wanted to compare it, those bits to something, you could compare it almost to Brecht, the Brechtian jest. Yes. If you know what I'm talking you know what Brecht talks about, you're not the character, you represent the character, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, exactly. and then when you do a play like Frappany Opera or, or, or whatever, you know, play you, you, that Brecht, Bertolt Brecht had written, um, you, it's the same approach to the character. It's no, it's not actually different, and it was something that moves the story forward. And it's something that's very effective. And it's something that I wasn't sure how I was going to do, but I let the pen, I let my fingers move across the keyboard, and didn't judge or didn't worry. It's like trying to write a movie to a budget. Oh, I can't have an airplane crash, or I can't have this, right. or I can't have a car chase. No, write the thing. Don't worry about the budget. And it, I think this is what happened with this. It was, it was write it and don't, you know, just write it. Don't worry about what, you know, what's in front, you know, just stay in the here and now. Do what is in front of you rather than worry about how you're going to mount it, where you're going to find it. None of that. Just write the thing. And it's just, you know, what's the next indicated action? I guess for the um, yeah yeah for the um, with the approach that you took one of the things that most Americans and, and certainly most Americans of a vintage age know about Aristotle and Anassis is of course Jackie Kennedy and Anassis is because of is is uh, the courtship and then marriage uh, and, and life with uh, yeah Jackie Kennedy Onassis. Um, how is it that you, no spoilers, I guess, really, but it doesn't matter. How did you approach these very key important women in his life? Because I'm assuming that there's a very human take of it, because it's not just Onas, uh, it's not just uh, Jackie Kennedy, but it's, of course, the long relationship with Maria Callas. And Claudia Muzio and Ingeborg Dedeschen and, uh, Mm. Um, and Geraldine Spreckles, and uh, you know, m- you know, so many other women, so many other women. Um, it's it's not a story about Jackie. Yeah, of course, it's not a story about Maria. It's a story about the devastation that and and and, and the PTSD that the man suffered from, and how mm. he didn't let that. Uh, it was in spite of that. That was a catalyst rather than uh, than something that crushed him. So I think that is the story. Go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Love and loss. Love and loss. It's like 
you know, I remember, you know, I remember, you know, watching my mother uh, in a catatonic state after my father had died. And it was like, oh, crikey, I don't want to put anyone through that situation. Mm. And it's like, it's those little things or those big things that determine how we're going to uh, 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 become and approach certain uh, um, um, things in our lives and scenarios in our lives. And it's like, do I shy away from love? And it is what I want. You know, I want to love and I want to be loved. But what happens when I love? You know, will, will the other shoe drop? So, you know, it's that human uh, condition that I've focused more on this time. And it's like, you know, we all crave, we all think we want millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then I would be happy. And is that what is going to really make me happy? <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, you know, is that what I re is that what's going to make my life complete? Is having that, um, you know, five cars in the garage and 10 motorbikes and uh, having a, a, a pilot ferry wherever you want to go, work, to go in your jet, you know, your private jet. So, you know, so, you know, those, the, you know, it, it was my job to humanize the man. It's my job exactly. to make you look at who you are and what it is you, what is really important in your life. I think that's what Absolutely. I focused on. Yeah. As, as one gets older, one looks at life differently. What you used to, what you and I thought was cool in our twenties, right, is yeah. what we look at and think. Oh my! I thought that was cool. No, that's not what's cool. You know, and in my forties, it's different, and in my fifties, it's different. What I think is cool. So you know, yeah. we take a different approach each, each, um, and um, to everything that we do in our lives, and even as creators and interpreters and storytellers, we we approach it from a different aspect. And this is certainly understandable why it's probably a wise thing not to touch this play in between performances and in between the preparation. Exactly. Um, you said that from the very beginning. Um, yeah. We do constantly change, and then that way the material can stay fresh and we can find the new insight in it. That's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. What, <clears throat> What is your? This is a simplistic. This is the. This is a sort of the Johnny Carson, David Letterman, Larry King kind of question. Before I get into some other things, what is your biggest takeaway? You're now doing it again. The uh, audiences have been supportive. Reviews are good. The Greek community apparently has been very, very supportive. What's your biggest takeaway about Onassis about your show with this run so far? Um, well, that's a very interesting question. And I think, I think off the cuff, I would say, um, the loneliness, we're talking about specific, if we're talking about this, the character, say the loneliness of, of the man. And, and right now it's like, as a writer, as, as the actor, it's like, I was always concerned about, well, they could slate me on two different levels. You know, they could like trash me on <laughs> as a writer and as an actor. And now that doesn't concern me because I want to go and tell the story. And it's like, this is, I, I, there's a very, very well-known friend of mine. And I won't mention his name. He's a writer, director. 
And we had this conversation once, and he said, you know, my career took a nosedive when I won awards, and then I started writing for the, for the critics. Um, mm. you know, my career just took a nosedive, and as soon as I started writing for myself again, my career went back to where it was. So I think that's very important for me, and that is something that I've learned this time. You know, if I touch one person in that audience, then I've done my job. My job is to plant the seed of thought in somebody's mind. Right. My job is to perhaps change the way someone looks at something. You know, my job is to make to take someone's isolation away and say for them to say to themselves, darn, I thought I was the only person in the world that felt like that. I want to entertain them, but I want them to go home and then think seriously about certain things. And, you know, my job is to entertain, but it is also on some level to be didactic. The um, before we jump into your work in film and television, what um, and I hope that the uh, I, I hope to hear good things uh, with this, but I hope that you're planning uh, and there's some things in the works to do Onassis an evening with Onassis at other theaters, perhaps tour around the country. Is there are there things in motion? Are there? Are you? Are you with your team looking toward that? Well, it's Chicago wants it, Croatia wants it, Greece wants ah. it back, Florida wants it, um, Ohio wants it, and uh, you know my uh, dream is to find an actor who will I will say, oh my, you should be playing this part, not me, and have <laughs> him do ancillary tours have him do ancillary tours. And it's difficult because I riff. I riff, you know, and I'll give, you know. But, yeah, there are plans, but um, I uh, I just recently played Carlo Gambino in The Offer. um, Yeah, I want to talk to you about that a little bit. That's coming out soon. And, um, you know, and it's like, you know, I don't want to stand in the way of anything uh, uh, that may come from that. Um, of course, dare I say it. Yeah. And and my roots are theatre. I'm classically trained. You know, and you know, I know there's more one, than one classical writer, which is Shakespeare. There's Marlowe. There's Chapman. There's Lily. There's Ford. You know that. You know, there's so many other writers. And you know, my you know now I use my dream job. You know, my dream role is Lear. You know, mm. so, so yeah, there are plans for it, but we'll see how that, we see how that goes because, um, it, it takes a while to, to get some traction and I, you know, really, really love all mediums of the, of the business and it's a different, it's a different, um, approach to working with a camera in your face rather than, uh, an audience. There is a difference, and um, oh, absolutely. um, Well, all you have to do is at some party just find somebody, walk up to them, and say, "You know, you look like Aristotle Onassis. I've got something Uh, for you." And then duck. Off they go. And then duck. (laughs) I um, and yes, I I will gently suggest that um, 
the time to play Lear is when you can still pick up Cordelia without uh, without uh, any magic tricks. <laughs> so I, I hope no, that you I, get a chance. I, I, I hope I, that happens for you. I, I know um, you, uh, yeah. Let's talk about the offer. Let's talk about your film and TV work because that is something that is also current. Uh, coincidentally, you're uh, portraying a real-life person, uh, Carlo Gambino, in the offer. And for the listeners who don't know, but we'll quickly find out, the everyone knows the Coppola film, 1972, The, the Godfather. I believe this year is the 50th anniversary of, of the film. Is, yeah. I don't know if my, it is. And the offer is um, a film uh, Paramount uh, made uh, limited series or a feature. It's a series. And you're playing episodes, yeah, uh, Paramount Plus. And um, so tell me about your, let's talk about Carlo Gambino. Here's another real-life person. Uh, I'm suspecting that I, I kind of anticipate some of your answers here. Uh, as an actor, but tell me about um, from the moment you're realizing, okay, I'm playing this guy, the preparation, what research, and I'm going to preempt and forgive me, but you really are confined by with what the script, the story needs to tell. But tell me all about that. I can't wait to see uh, the offer and see you in it. Thank you. Um, uh, some wonderful, wonderful, talented, very gifted people in it. Very gifted people in it. There's over a hundred cast members in the show, and you know, starting from Miles Teller and uh, Juno Temple and uh, Matthew Good and Dan Fogler and um, um, uh, Garlo, Patrick Garlo and. Uh, it's um, Joey Russo, uh, so many, and um, of course uh, Giovanni Ribisi, and like yeah. so many wonderful actors in it. Such generous actors that you know it's one of those jobs where you don't need to set an alarm clock to go to work. <laughs> you know, even if right. you've got you a six a.m. call, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Even if you left at ten o'clock at night the night before. I'm working with Dexter Fletcher and um, uh, Adam Arkin and uh, a couple of other. You know, it was just and, and the showrunners uh, uh, Nikki Toscano and, and uh, um, um, it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. You know, you just can't help. Dexter managed to to create a company of actors in in a three days rehearsal, whatever it was we had. You know, and it was such a, you know, it was such a, a wonderful experience, wonderful experience. And, you know, usually those kind of things, um, uh, you can see it on in, 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 the, in the picture when you're watching it in the, in the episodes. And like, um, so um, it's uh, uh, playing a real-life character. I booked the part. I was out in Athens, Greece. I decided to move there twice so far, and twice I booked work, you know three months jobs or whatever, and and went back to LA. Currently sitting in New York, and uh, um, I, I booked it in May, and we didn't start shooting till the begin. Like we didn't start working on it like till July, so I had ample time to do my research on the character. And if there are any actors listening, 
um, I did. I didn't learn the dialogue. I did research for two days on the character, and then looked at you know in between looked at the dialogue, and then did two takes and sent the first take for the taped audition. And uh, you know, getting to work, they wanted the Carlo Gambino that I was or would have been. Mm-hmm. So I had to throw a lot of it out the window. You yeah. know, and I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did. And uh, um, Frank, who, who uh, the guy that played Frank Sinatra, is all all those guys, man. They just totally blew me away. They totally blew me away. Their work is impeccable, consummate artists. And uh, mm. the guy that plays Frank Sinatra in it, it was just like, you know, he didn't. He 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 took he had the speech rhythms of Frank Sinatra, you know. He didn't do an impression of Frank Sinatra, so that just you know that kind of work is like it's an honor to be in involved in something like that, you know. So I hope it does well. Yeah, I mean, isn't that exciting for an actor? I mean, if you find yourself in a play with a company of actors that just fire and you're playing with as they say better tennis players and when you find yourself in a, in a television film or a film and the the actors are just i, I understand that that uh, vibrancy and that electricity um yeah there's not too much material out now i believe there's a trailer but it is coming soon so uh, we'll we'll all be able to see it very very soon and um, a lot of stuff is yeah yeah a lot of stuff is dropping you know uh, 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 right now on it. Um, you know, Bern Gorman is a wonderful actor. Colin Hanks is in it as well. Josh Zuckerman, you know. Nora... It's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank John Hughes is the guy that plays Frank Sinatra. Eric, uh, um, Justin Chambers. Justin Chambers, who plays Marlon Brando. It's like... Oh my God! Just to see, you know, oh my God, you know, the, you know, the transform is like, oh my God! He's like, am I in this thing? You know, uh, you know, and Michael Rispoli's, of course, has to be in it, you know. So yeah, 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 yeah. Man, it's just fantastic, a, an honor, and I, I, I can't speak highly enough of everybody, from props to costumes to to the grips, to the gaffers, everybody, man, everybody, to the to the sign painters, everybody. It's just an honor to have been there, man. Anyway, I've waxed on lyrical about that enough, haven't I? <laughs> but you know, it's true because you can sense on a set when everyone is feeling that um, elusive, we're on to something. It, it's palpable and it runs through everybody. It's really great. I wanted to ask you a very specific thing about your past because of my respect for her as an actor. I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> for the record, Mr. Scorgy takes the fifth. Um, you worked with, uh, in your early theater career, you worked with Vanessa Redgrave and her company. Oh, remember her company, uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, what was that uh, experience like, and what kind of what, did, what what was chosen to do? What was that all about? Well, that's a very, very. It's just how you know when something comes your way, and it's supposed to be for you, I guess. Uh, I just finished working at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and I was doing Danny in the Deep Blue Sea somewhere, and I had a phone call from Siobhan Brack, 
who was the head of casting over at um, Royal Shakespeare, come saying, Anthony, would you mind uh, Vanessa Redgrave uh, and uh, the, the company needs an actor to cover someone for four days? It was when Yugoslavia was um, falling apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the actors had to go and do something. And I would do all the previews up to the press night, and he would do the press night, and I would leave. And I had, like, the Lubisha Ristic was the, was the um, director, was the uh, artistic director of the National Theatre, Yugoslavian National Theatre. And uh, he, I, I turn up, and he says, today you watch, tomorrow you do. And I thought, and, like, uh, Siobhan said to me, it's only four inches and four inches. Says, yeah, fine, of course I'll do it. I get there, it's all in Romany, number one. Oh, my God. And number two, number two, uh, yes, four entrances and four exits, but when I entered, I was there till I, you know, for, for a long time, and then I'd go off and then almost immediately come back on. Um, and um, I did the four days of that, and Corin, God rest his soul, Corin Redgrave, her brother, amazing amazing man he was uh when i finished it he said to me you know we're looking for a spot for you in the company you know thank you very much and they indeed oh. i thought wow it's it's just lip service i thought to myself and paul butler was playing um anthony and anthony and cleopatra you probably remember paul butler yeah the black actor yeah and uh for one reason or another he couldn't do the show um, he'd done some of them. And then so everybody moved up a spot. And David Harewood, wonderful man, wonderful mm. British actor, who was, um, played the Martian on Supergirl and he was on Homeland for a long time. Um, he played, he moved, he got that role. And uh, the guy that was playing Ina Barbas moved up, to, you know, moved up. Everybody moved up and there was a space for someone to play Pompey. And I was invited to do the role. I was invited mm. to do the role, and uh, of course I did it. And half the company was gonna was gonna go to the U.S. do the U.S. stint, and I thought, well, I was last on. I'm not gonna go and do that, and I, I ended up doing it. So yeah, wonderful experience, wonderful, wonderful. Italy, Spain, Brazil, you know, you know, <laughs> wonderful tour. Why not? Yeah. yeah. As an aside, I just one of my uh, just my growth as an actor, my what speaks to me is, um, you know, I've always liked Michael Redgrave uh, as an yes. actor uh, in his right. films and uh, never, never, ever saw him, not old enough to ever have seen him on stage. However, I've read his book, uh, one, the one in particular that escapes me, um, Way of the Actor, Ways, Ways of the Actor, something. And what he talks about there just very much is in a line with where I've been along my journey of trying to figure out how to right. act. Um, so just... Um, well, let me just finish. Let me just finish. No, Vanessa. Please, please, please. Let me just talk about yeah, Vanessa. Yeah. She's just awesome woman, awesome woman. And I've never seen a person as generous as her. And if someone asks her for money, and she'll open her purse and... Uh, give them whatever's in there. And moreover, she's one of these actresses um, who, uh, whether you're on stage with her or whether you're at the back of the auditorium, you get the same performance. I don't know how she does it. And the other thing is, um, 
an ex-girlfriend of mine got into an elevator at an airport with her and she said, uh, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, my boyfriend worked with you. And she said, who darling? And uh, she said, Anthony. And Vanessa was like, Tony Scordy? Oh my, <laughs> what a wonderful man. So, you know, that's who Vanessa is, you know, she's yeah. just wonderful. Yeah. So there you go. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I didn't really answer your question. And I think uh, hopefully I just did. No, but you also, I mean, obviously I did want to know, you know, what you were, what you did with the company at that time. And, and uh, it's marvelous. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did a lot of but I just other wanted stuff to, with them as well. I just wanted to sort of wrap up, uh, other than talking about what might be coming up, other than what's in your bucket list, Lear, which if there's any way I can aid and abet that in any way, I would, I would love to have you uh, play Lear. Um, but uh, what is, other than keeping, you know, any future incarnations of an evening with Onassis, and obviously we have uh, the author, coming up on television, streaming. Um, just curious, what is coming up for you? Oh, I just got a, a horror movie, uh, an artsy horror movie with Julian Sands. Another wonderful, I've been so blessed to work with all these wonderful people. Julian Sands, mm. which we shot in Cyprus a year ago. And I've got a, a motion capture video game, uh, which I can't talk about, um, coming out soon as well. So... And the seven faces of Jane. I mean, how does this happen? I get directed by Gia Coppola while I'm doing the offer. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, how did that happen? <laughs> I mean, yes. And I actually could not know about daughter. that until just now. That is, that is amazing. That is great. Um, and I am reminded that you have had a, a very, very healthy career uh, doing voice work and particularly you know, in video games. So uh, that is uh, a really fun way to um, pay the bills, uh, doing voice work for uh, that sort of thing. So um, obviously there'll be more of more and more of that. You've done the, 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 the Star Wars Battlefront and a few other things that are quite popular and quite uh, bestsellers and that kind of thing. So in the Star Wars, right. so you're part of the Star Wars universe. So there you well, not, yeah, we, the Godfather uh, and Coppola's and the Godfather was inducted. Uh, the Godfather, the uh, uh, Garrick Versio was inducted into four or five of us from that have been inducted into the Star Wars canon. So that that was really nice. <laughs> not too shabby. Not too shabby. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? We're actors, man, and like you know, we're blessed to be working. And, you know, I just find that insta you know, the, the, the energy that I use complaining about why I'm not getting work or why I'm not being called in, I could use it much more constructively, you know, and, yeah. and say, well, what, why is that? Why is that? What then, if I can identify the problem, then I can find the solution. And every day that I am out there doing what I love doing or Trying, you know, the work, the work that I actually do, I've got to do just as much work trying to get work as I do when I'm working, you know, and it's mm -hmm. the red carpet will not be rolled to my bedroom door. <laughs> but it's the, um, I mean, that is the life, is the work. Um, and I'm sensing, and I, and I really do uh, understand that. 
a long time ago, uh, I don't know how I sort of let go of, uh, it's funny, you should mention, you know, things that we thought we were, that were important when we were in our 20s, and that kind of thing. But a long time ago, just unclenching, letting go, not chasing certain carrots, and really just loving the work as it came. And it did come. And one thing led right. to another, and some things were quite challenging. Some things were not as challenging. All was enjoyable. Um, listen, I so look forward to um, seeing you soon, and I really do uh, love uh, chatting with you uh, today, and I really do appreciate your time. Um, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up and ring off? To actors? to younger actors, to actors just trying to come into the business. Um, I think one must check their uh, motivation. One must check their, the reasons why they're doing it. And there comes a time when one has an existential moment and uh, asks, well, why am I doing this? And the reasons have to be some of the reasons that for me that I mentioned earlier, which is, you know, to plant the seed of thought in someone's mind, change the way someone thinks, to uh, make take someone's loneliness away, uh, to make them realize, oh, I thought I was the only person that felt like that. And sometimes it feels like, you know, Hollywood feels like, or even New York feels like, um, I'm, I'm starving, standing outside a restaurant, freezing with my nose pressed up against the window watching people enjoying these lavish feasts and i need something and i need something to sustain me till that door's open for me so i can go and enjoy a meal in there myself that's all i can say about that but we must be aware of what's going in the world today i must be aware of the politics i must be aware of the philosophies i must be aware of women's role in society. I must be aware where men stand today. I must be current, and therefore I can interpret a current play. When I research, when I'm doing a play of a certain period or, or, a, or a movie or a TV show, I research the period that I'm doing it in because then I'll find the mindset of the people that lived in that era. Yeah, 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 because even if we're doing... Oh, let's just grab out of thin air. Even if we're doing a Shakespeare, there's a reason to do it today so that it speaks to, to the audience. Well, Shakespeare, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. The more we sorry, I, are aware of our current events, what's happening in, that affect all, all of our lives, uh, it only enriches the understanding of why and, yeah, we're doing And the human condition has changed, has it? The no, human condition exactly. hasn't changed. And what I have to remember is that even the technical aspects of it, what came before Shakespeare, you know, the character called, was called Everyman, another character was called Avarice, you know. So <laughs> when I look at Shakespeare, then I have to look at what he did with the names. You know, what yeah. did this name, this character's name mean? Uh, you know, and why did he didn't always write in iambic pentameter? And why is this offbeat here? The man knew exactly what he's doing. And why is this why is this bit full of plosives? What's going on here? So there's all that technical stuff that that's going on as well. But Shakespeare wrote uh, the first rap number one, 
And secondly, he wrote in order to help the actor to retain the dialogue. You know, and then, you yeah. know, and then when they didn't have sound effects, you know, there was onomatopoeic words that he used. Like when I say thunder and lightning, those words sound like those things, you know. So you know, there's a lot of work to do. It's not just being up there, putting a bit of lipstick and eyeliner on and prancing around like a clown. <laughs> Absolutely right. Well, speaking of stamina and uh, the marathon, uh, Anthony, thank you so much uh, for talking to me today. And um, so welcome. I know that you're on your. I know you're on your way to the theater this afternoon. So, and you've got uh, many performances. So, pace yourself. Sit when you can. Get your rest. Take your vitamins. Drink water. (laughs) All the stuff we know to do. Thanks, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and listening to the podcast. My thanks to Anthony Scordy for taking time from his busy schedule to talk with me. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for subscribing to the podcast. For more information about our audiobooks and audio drama, please visit redfieldartsaudio.com. This is Mark Redfield. Be safe, be well. Until next time.